Hey everyone, welcome to the first ever episode of the Oh My Kurigunas podcast. My name is Hamza Islam, and I'm super excited to be showing the world or releasing this podcast to the world. Um, before I talk a bit about guests in this podcast, let's. I just want to talk a little bit about myself. Um, and you'll get to know more about me as um, I continue on with this podcast journey. So I'm, as you know, Hamza Islam. I'm a third year student at The Ohio State University. We have to include the word the for some reason. And um, I studied computer science, but my, my biggest curiosity has always been about people's journey and what it's like to be, uh, what it's like to be in their shoes. Um, there are a lot of amazing people, especially young people, and they've done a, a lot of amazing things uh, to make the world better or to shock the world in, in any way. Um, but we care so much about the success of a person, but we don't understand the journey that person took to get to where they are today. And that's really crucial because in today's world, or because we don't do that, we don't understand the human element. And I just hope to normalize that conversation because for all of us, in order to get to where we are today, or if, in order to get to our end goal, we have to, um, we really have to understand what it takes to get there. And I'm not a popular podcaster, but I understand that there are going to be bumps along the road, but it's okay because I'm going to embrace it. And um, I just want to thank my family, friends, my podcast team who have been very supportive throughout this, uh, throughout this journey, excuse me, uh, to set up this podcast. And I can't wait to do as many episodes as I can. And um, it's going to be a fun experience. So without further ado, let's talk about my first guest, because um, the name of the podcast, as you guys know, is called Oh My Curry Goodness. The idea is to understand when we say those, we hear those crazy stories, we say, oh, my goodness. And then I added the word uh, curry because it's my favorite food. I'm South Asian and I eat curry almost every day. So uh, it lets people know that it's as me as possible. My guest this week is Julian Pavoni. He is the world's youngest professional drummer, a record he has held since the age of four. In addition, he is also one of the world's youngest inventors. He's had two patents, one at the age of four and one at the age of seven. And this guy has been one, of, he's literally, when I say he has had one of the craziest journeys I've ever had to uh, listen to, uh, I really mean it. It is amazing to uh, have someone like him. He was one of the first people to say yes to this podcast. So to be able to have uh, a support from especially this guy is truly an honor. So, and I'm really excited. Uh, we actually spoke a couple of weeks ago uh, as of this recording. And yeah, I feel like it's just going to be a natural conversation. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Uh, I hope I know there are people that may know him, but for those who don't know about him, uh, I hope you are impressed. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be saying the word, oh, my curry goodness. Um, if you do, that's a bonus. But I really do hope that regardless if you know him or not, um, that you are amazed by his story or inspired in any way. He's a great guy, and I really am looking forward to talking to him. And I hope uh, you guys, the listeners, are excited as well. Julian Pavoni, welcome yes. to the Oh My Curry Goodness podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Man, I have been looking forward to this day for so long. Um, and it's not just because, I mean, anytime you have your first episode of the podcast, it's always going to be special. But to be able to have someone, and I mentioned this in the introduction aspect, you're one of the first people that said yes to this podcast. And to think that someone who's basically been shocking the world, literally speaking, they were born 
having someone like you is truly an honor. So I want to thank you. Thank you, you so much. And also to your dad as well, who uh, made this happen. Yeah, of course. I mean, again, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have a great conversation. And I'm, I'm more than happy to be on this podcast. Let's let's dive into your story because, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, who don't know who you are, you are the world's youngest professional drummer. You accomplished that at the age of four. And you're also one of the world's youngest inventors. You've created two patents, one at the age of four and at the age of seven. And I know there are people who don't know you, but uh, to those who do know you, I feel like in a way, you, this is like right now you're, I think, how old are you? Like 18, 19? I'm 18. 18. I feel like this is a retirement age for you right now. I, no, I, oh my God, not at all. Not at all. You've accomplished so much before the age of 10 that I feel like right now it's like everything that you accomplished, this is basically what people try to work for. And you're just like, yeah, I did everything before I even reached double digits. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I hold the Guinness World Record for being the youngest professional drummer. Um, I've been on over 300 television and news shows, Oprah twice, Good Morning America, all the, you know, local news stations and mentioned in over 50,000 newspaper and articles. So, uh, yeah, I've done a lot. I, I recorded a CD when I was 19 months old and released that and recorded that with Ralph Armstrong who is the bassist from Mahavishnu Orchestra, or at least one of the bassists. And yeah, so like you, like you said, I've done, I've done the inventions. One of them was a stain cover-up called Abracadabra, which I had patented. This is horrible, but uh, I can't even remember exactly when, but I know, I know I was pretty young. <laughs> and then another one of my inventions, which were um, basically like drum gloves, right? So you put um, these tips of sticks onto them, onto the fingers, and it just helps produce a different sound. And if we could definitely go into that further, um, if you'd like to. But yeah, uh, it was funny you mentioned about like retirement age. I honestly, I think this is like, this is this is just the beginning for what I want to do. Wow. And I remember just well, I actually don't remember. Like I, a lot of the stuff I've done when I was younger, I don't remember. So you know, being on Oprah and all these different shows, it's 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 kind of weird. Um, sometimes I'll just like, I'll look at like older videos of myself. Not like I'm a weirdo watching like videos of myself, <laughs> but it's almost like watching, um, videos of like someone else. Cause I don't remember doing it. Right. So, um, although I did accomplish a lot when I'm, when I was younger, I think not, this is when the journey really starts, especially cause I'm at, I'm attending Berkeley college of music. I want to study music production and engineering and then uh, music business as well. But this is, this is just the beginning, I think. You've honestly lived such an interesting life. And it's so crazy to say this because you are only 18. I feel like mm -hmm. at some point, you know, people know you or the fact that you have some of these records, world's youngest drummer, one of the youngest inventors. I feel like at some point, you need to break a couple of records in the future where you're like the oldest to do something. Yeah. I feel like that would be called an overall balanced life for you. Yeah. I feel like that, that would, would be, be pretty cool. <laughs> no, let's seriously, let's, let's talk about the world's youngest drummer because, mm -hmm. you know, doing this at the age of four, I know this has been what, 14, 15 years since you've held this record. I know you're often asked when people get uh, first know you, what are your thoughts of, ho of holding this record? But I want to, instead of asking you, what are your thoughts? I would genuinely, I would genuinely want to know how much this record has changed you from the time that you first held this record 
to where you are now. Because it's one of those things where it's so exciting. It's exciting to have that record, but at the same time, because it's been so long, it's almost like you're, you have that like numbness feeling to it. That's, that's when a hundred percent true. When you say this numbness feeling, because I don't remember doing all these things, I have to sometimes remind myself that I've accomplished these things because, mm-hmm. you know, believe I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still a kid and I'm still human. So I remember just first coming to Berkeley, like there's a lot of talent there and it's easy to forget your story and that you do belong at a school like Berkeley. Uh, and this, uh, this of course goes for like, not just musicians, but this could be for any field, but it's just, it's important to remember who you are and what you've done and how much work you've put into whatever you're pursuing. And although I did these things when I was younger, I still had like, truthfully, I still had to remind myself of that. And I think it's just an important thing to bring up because people, I mean, the first thing people do when they hear this record is question it. They're like, how's that, you know, they're going to be skeptical. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, it sounds um, impossible, I guess, but I don't, again, I don't want to say that I've like accomplished the impossible because I I haven't, Mm. but I, I, it's just, it's an interesting thing to think about for sure. Cause I have to, I, sometimes I just have to think about it. And it's like, I, I don't really bring it up in conversation unless I, unless I really think I need to. Um, it's usually like someone else. Like if I'm meeting someone for the first time, it could be like a friend of mine that knows and the friend will bring it up and then I end up explaining it. So, but a lot of times I don't, I don't really, I don't like, it's not like I meet you, like when I meet you for the first time it's, and it's like, Oh, nice to meet you. I hold this record and I've done these things. Like it doesn't, it doesn't come up like that. And I don't, I don't feel the need to bring it up like that. I want to be able to win people over just from, just from my playing ability now. So that's also why I say the journey really starts now because I've, I've expanded my playing and I've, I'm really trying to break down drumming into its fundamentals. And now I'm going into production as well. It's like, I really have a different viewpoint on it, especially because it's something I know I want to do for the rest of my life. I've just, I've looked at it differently and naturally than just when I was younger, but now it's like, I'm really breaking it down. And it's like, regardless of what I've done, I know how I have to be able to produce. I know I have to be able to drum. I know I have to be musical. I can't just go off of my history. So that's something I think it, it, it also keeps me grounded, I think, believe it or not. And you may be thinking like with my history, you know, someone like me, I might be like an airhead or anything like that. I really try my hardest not to be. And if anything, it, it keeps me grounded because it's like, yes, I've done a lot when I was young, but what am I doing now? And I ask myself that question as well. I mean, everybody asks, or not everybody, but like people that know me, I'm sure think that and end up asking me that. It's like, what am I up to now? And so that's why the journey really starts now. You know, it's one of those things where um, or when I first heard about you or like the idea of bringing you on, I feel like in a way, and I apologize for using this word, but like, it's like, it's like the first time I've interacted with a mini celebrity in a way. And Thank so <laughs> when I first met you, I, I remember we spoke a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, just about this podcast. And I was like, I don't know what kind of Julian Pavoni I'm getting. Like, is he going to be the guy known as the world's youngest drummer, professional drummer, or just a regular guy? And when I met mm-hmm. with you, I think it was one of those things where it felt like I was talking to someone from class or like my neighbor or just like a regular friend. And I think 
I think that's really one of the coolest things where, and this is what, this is like, Thank the, you. this is where, this is the message that I always send where it's, it's not about who a person is. It's about what the person is. Yes. You have all these accolades and stuff, but at the end of the day, you're just a human being, just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that many people often forget. And I think people often forget it because there's certain people that, um, that don't know how to live without boasting their accomplishments. And I think that's why some people get can have a skewed, uh, a skewed look or a skewed aspect on people that have just uh, like celebrities in the world. But at the end of the day, of course, everybody's just you know a person. Everybody was born pretty much the same way. Everyone's living, grew up a similar way. We're all human. So I know that's so cliche, but like it is true at the end of the day. No, no, actually, I I I disagree. I don't think it's cliche because I feel like that's what so many people forget nowadays is the fact that they are human but mm -hmm. um so in talking about this record this is a record that you've held for 15 years mm -hmm. i want to ask you a question that may offend every world record holder do you hope that there is a baby out there that takes this record from you i know there's an exact um there's something on the world record where it's like you've had like you broke this record at like four years something months something days yeah four years 10 months and 15 days as of this recording, <laughs> but <Yep. laughs> is there a part of you that hopes someone breaks that record? Cause I feel like in a way, you know, it's a win-win if, because if you, if someone doesn't take that record, you still help hold that record. But if someone does win, it's because you set a very, very high bar that like highly, I don't think anyone will be able to, you know, be, it'll be almost impossible. Yeah. That's an interesting question for sure. I think, I think it'd be really cool to see someone break that record, but whether it happens or not, that's, that's exactly why I'm really focusing on expanding myself right now, because I, I, although it's my history and it's, of course it's important to remember history, I'm still who I am today as well. So whether it's taken or not, I mean, that'd be really cool, but I'm still going to be pursuing music. I'm still going to be drumming. I'm still going to be the person I am today. So it doesn't scare me or anything. If anything, like, I think it'd be really cool. Like I said, do you know the previous record before you, like how much you beat that person by? Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a drummer out of Japan and he was, he was around nine. I oh, think wow. a little over, just a little bit over nine, I think. So <laughs> yeah, I, I beat it by a couple of years, but um, that's, I mean, there has to, that's, there have to, there, excuse me, there has to be people to, set the record in order to i think advance the record you know and mm -hmm. again not just for drumming but there has to be a wall set up that someone can break through and that's just going to lead to further expansion into whatever like especially like in science thinking about it you have this wall put up maybe there's some discoveries made and then when someone is able to break that wall it just leads to like way more discoveries and stuff so i think boundaries have to be there in order for people to come along and then break them yeah, no, absolutely. And and it's weird cuz I'm just picturing like a new like new parents who've heard of your story and then there's mm -hmm. like one parent looking at the baby going isn't the, this the most beautiful thing in the world and then there's another parent that goes like when we get home you're playing on the drum. Yeah. We're going to break this record. <laughs> yeah. We're going to we're going to make this possible. But you know, it, it's interesting because and I'm saying this not because you're here. I'm saying it because I think it's really hard to break the record that you currently hold right now. You know, this journey started when you were playing with your dad at the age of at only three months. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm someone who's based in Ohio. So I think Cavs fans will be interested to hear this. You were, I think, offered like some sort of contract at 15 months. Yes. And then you also recorded a song at 20 months old, right? 20, 21. I, I recorded at 19 and released it at 20. But 21. yeah, so I, I, yeah, 20 months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I started when I was three months old, like you said, sitting on my father's lap because my, my father was a drummer as a hobby. And my mom also sang and played piano as a hobby, but they just helped me pursue this career. And yep, at, I think, like you said, 15 months when I was offered to be on the Cleveland Cavaliers drumline, I was the youngest to be on that drumline. And then at 19 months recording the CD, and that was, that, that was part of breaking the record. So I guess I could, I could break down the requirements for the record if you'd yeah. like me to. So from what I remember, I had to do 20 concerts or more, 45 minutes or longer, no breaks. I had to be paid to do them. I had to record or release a CD. So that's where the CD comes in. I had to sell it to major retailers. And I believe there's more that goes into it. But those are like the main requirements that I remember. You know, it, it's weird because you know, you're talking about your story and no matter how many times, whether you said it just now or reading it, and we talked about this uh, a few minutes ago about how there's often like this, like this is impossible, like this doesn't seem real. You know, when you're meeting new people for the first time and you're kind of telling them about yourself in like the most genuine way possible, because you, like you mentioned, you don't want to be known as the world's youngest professional drummer. You just want to be known as a human being. But when you're talking to people and telling them about your story, I would genuinely love to know how often people are like, did you just make up an imaginary person? Or even like the times where like, even you've lived this life, but it's like, did yeah. I really do all this? Like how often do you, yeah. do you live, like do you like question yourself even though like you actually did it? Right. So the first thing is, again, being known as the world's youngest professional drummer, I get, it's like, I don't know. That's an interesting thing to, to think about. I, of course, I want to be known as Julian Pavoni, and I would love for the people to remember my history. So it's not that I don't want to be known as the world's youngest professional drummer. It's more, it would be cool to, if people could, like, of course, remember that and remember that history, but know me as Julian Pavoni, you know? Yeah. So, but uh, for sure, I mean, like, I can only imagine hearing this story, like if someone else had broken this record and then hearing the story, and if I didn't have like, or maybe I didn't have that history, I was still like a drummer and like aspiring producer and things like that. It would be really hard to believe. And that's what I, I experienced that for sure. Cause also like when people bring it up, sometimes they just like throw it in and they're like, oh yeah, you know, like he has a world record mm -hmm. and, or like a Guinness world record. And then people are like, what is going on? You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, sometimes like, sometimes you have to present it a certain way where people like it doesn't throw people off or anything like that. But yeah, it's, it's just people will bring it up and I explain it. And again, I don't, I don't try to shove it in people's faces at all, but eventually it does end up coming out and I have to explain myself. <laughs> but yeah, for, I mean, it's, it's definitely hard to believe for sure. So let's talk about playing drums in particular. And it's, and it's such a weird thing to talk about, like the question of how do you play the drums? Because, you know, as someone like me, I played, so growing up, I played the guitar or yeah, I played the guitar and the piano. And it's so easy. You can tell like different notes. You can tell like a different note because if you play, if you press a certain key or you hit a certain tune, 
you can tell like the 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 variations change. But with drumming, I feel like, and I've had experience one like playing drums once, and I'll tell that after I ask this question. Um, but talk to me about like the idea or like how you play drums. I know it's a weird question to ask, but like for sure, though, like you're just hitting the same thing. If you're hitting the same drum, you're hitting the same yeah. cylinders. You don't. I don't really know. Like I remember watching like videos of you like when you were little, because uh, because uh, that's on your website. And it's just like, you're just hitting everything. It's such a fast pace, but I don't exactly know like what you, I guess, look for. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the truth to like, what I like, how do you play drums? I'm still answering that question. And that's why I'm at Berkeley and Berkeley's helping me do this. But there is, I, from what I've experienced so far, I think there's kind of two sections to learning to play the drums. The first part is learning how to coordinate your body. And because if, if anyone just goes like, if they might see a drummer and be like, oh, you know, like I could do that. But if you go and sit down on a drum kit and then try to move your body, it's like, you're going to want to move your right off, like your right hand and your left leg is going to like kick out. So like different yeah. parts of your body are going to be moving when you don't want, you know, want the parts to do that. So I think the first part is just learning how to control your body and how to build the cord the coordination necessary to be, you know, like have your left foot going on the hi-hat and then your right hand doing something different and your left hand doing something different, your right foot doing something different. Like that all takes, you get, you just got to build the muscle and I guess it'd be like work your brain to build those connections. That's <laughs> yeah. the first part. Oh. And the second part is then learning how to treat it as an instrument because the drums are still an instrument. And I think the best, not, I think I like the best example to see that, in action is in jazz and i didn't grow up playing jazz i grew up on rock and roll a little fusion here and there but it was a lot of just like classic rock so led zeppelin you know um rush the doors the who these are all like my favorite drummers the beatles i mean the beatles you know classic rock but right. ringo still, ringo still had an incredible feel that was like that was his thing but when you when you listen to jazz music and like really listen to it, not just like have it on in the background, but for someone who didn't grow up on jazz, I've had, I like coming to Berkeley. Of course you don't have to pursue jazz music, but learning about jazz music is extremely important, especially in the curriculum. So I've had to do a lot of work of just learning jazz. And that's when you learn how to treat the drums like an instrument. It's no longer just keeping time. And it's no longer just like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's no, it's past that. That's when you start to focus on like everything you do. Every movement you make is going to have an impact. So I guess you could break down the second part of like treating it like an instrument into two parts. The first part is thinking about what you're playing. So you have to think about how the different ways you move your hand, how that's going to create a different sound. Because now we're talking about the actual tonal quality, or maybe not tonal quality, but the sound quality. Because mm -hmm. you have to think about, okay, am I going to do a rim shot? Am I going to just hit the snare head without the rim? Am I going to be buzzing here? How am I going to hit everything? What part of the stick am I going to use? These questions start to come into play. So that first part of treating it like an instrument is now thinking about what you're playing. And then the second part is learning how to not think about what you're playing. Oh, wow. And this all takes, 
So this all takes years, you know, years to do. And I'm still doing, I'm still learning how to do this. But you have, you get to a point where it's like, okay, you have to almost turn your brain off. So you have to trust yourself that you've thought about it enough. You've like put the hours in to train your body and train your hands to move certain ways and to do different things. Now you have to train yourself to just go off of like the, in- the instinct of when you hear the music. So when you hear the music, you have to be able to trust yourself to act in the right way. So that's the part of music where it's like you turn your brain off and you just respond to what you're hearing. And that's why like listening to music is an extremely important way to get better at any instrument because you start to hear what sounds good in different genres at different tempos, you know, like little things like that start to stick out to you just from listening to music and like actively listening and breaking it down and thinking, thinking about how all the different instruments are interacting with each other. So that's the stage I like to think, I mean, I'm still in that stage of like treating it more like an instrument. You know, it's not just a backbeat. Now it's, it's an instrument just like the saxophone or a bass or piano. You know, it's, it's an instrument. It's an instrument. It's just people think, oh, because there's no notes, you know, it's not as hard or it's not as important, you know, and I think I, I would, I would disagree. You know, actually, thank you so much for breaking this down. I, I, you would have used this, uh, used this idea when I first started playing instruments. So one of my first, one of my favorite video games growing up was um, Rock Band. And Mm -hmm. Um, for those who don't know much about the game, the, uh, the, the idea of the game is that a color shows up on like, uh, like a note stand of some sort, and you have to hit the corresponding color. And if you miss like consecutive notes, uh, or if you miss consecutive colors, you get boot basically. And so I would be playing the drums and I loved it so much, but I never hit the correct notes and the fake audience just booed me. Like, and I'm like traumatized mm-hmm. by it. So I was just like, <laughs> I'm not playing. Yeah. I'm not playing in front of these anymore, but you know, that was one of my favorite games growing up and uh, yeah, I got booed, but I love, I love that game. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a classic. Yeah, but, for sure. But um, you know, I may have played in front of a fake audience. You played in front of real audiences. You played, you, like you said, you've been in multiple, you've performed in multiple shows. You've done Oprah, you've performed in cra- uh, crowds, big or small. And it's so interesting, especially in like the entertainment business where um, every time you're performing, it looks as though you're making everything look easy. You're making it seem like it's like, and it's not just you, it's like literally everyone, like mm-hmm. a final product. Right, right. Uh, making everything perfect, but like the hours that you're putting behind, the the failures, the the let me try this, but it doesn't work. And then even like when you're performing on stage or when you're performing, you know, there are a thousand people that are, or there are people that are being like, um, whether they like you, whether they not. And so I'd love to know like what goes through like that process. I know like you've done, you did this when you were little, but I'm sure you still perform even now, uh, that process of being able to make that final product look good. And even like also maybe take into account, not just like the early process, but also when you're putting yourself out there, especially in music, with that concern of like what people are thinking about you? That's a great question. <laughs> so I, I was able to do, or I was lucky enough to do two performances at Berkeley. And I did one performance with my ensemble. And that's basically, that's a class you have to take as part of the curriculum where you get 
you get put into different bands and you have to play music basically. And then you have a performance at the end of the semester. So I was able to perform with my ensemble and I performed with a group outside of the ensemble, just with some friends that I've met like in a club and we were able to put something together. But the process of that was hours of like, and I'll, I'll focus on the ensemble. So we met, you know, it was once a week throughout the semester. So a semester is like what, three months? So 12 weeks, so 12 hours, I guess, went into it. Or I'm sorry, each, an ensemble, um, the block is like close to two hours. So I guess like 24 hours total of just like playing went into this performance where it's like you, so we would get a tune and me now growing up on jazz and I was in a jazz ensemble, I didn't know a lot of the tunes that were thrown, you know, like on my chart or on my stand. So the charts that I'm looking at, it's like, I got to figure it out on the fly. And I remember the first like couple weeks, it was really, it was extremely difficult, especially because I was surrounded with um, kids that had more of a jazz background. So they're able, they're like, you know, they're getting through the music. They've heard the tunes before. There's tunes in there that are like, I, I haven't even heard before. So the first couple of weeks I was like, I'm talking to my parents. I'm like, you know, this is, ex- this is pretty tough. Like I might have to switch out of this ensemble and choose something I'm more like comfortable with. But I was, I was told by my mom and dad that I should, you know, stick it out and push through it. So that's, that's what I did. And it was definitely one of the best decisions I've made at Berkeley so far, because I, I'm now becoming a jazz drummer, which is wild to me. I never would have expected this or anything, you know, anything similar to this, but that's what I'm doing now. So for me personally, that performance, what it took was like, not just going to the class. So on top of the class, I need to go and listen to more jazz. I need to listen to how different drummers just swing and the different feel of their swing. Cause I guess this will hit home for any drummers listening, but just the diff- the different way you like time your hits when you're swinging, like on the ride cymbal, just little like milliseconds can change the entire feel. So I had to learn, just, I had to learn the feel. I did listen to different drummers. What, what did I like about their playing and just like replicate it. And, you know, nobody's perfect, so it's still going to be unique in a way. But you just – I just had to study. You know, that was my studying was listening to jazz and practicing jazz and then playing the charts outside of class and just every, every session just coming more and more prepared. So that's, that's the work that, it, that went into it. And that was stressful. I, I, that was really stressful. Just – it felt like I was, I was like learning a genre for the first time. And of course I've like done, you know, jazz studying here and there, but I've, this is the first time I really dove like head first into it. So that's, that's what it took. Man. No, I mean, it's, it's weird because, you know, like I said, you know, so many people care about that final product and we see all the, the, the success stories, but like the work that we have to do to get to that, is so difficult and oftentimes not talked about. Yeah. Sometimes people just don't want to talk about it because of the difficultness. And mm-hmm. I feel like in today's world, that's why like so many of us want to take that shortcut because we're like, yeah, let's do it this way. But it's like, no, in order to get to the top, you got to climb that mountain. And yep. so it's, I mean, it's truly a journey, but and it's, it's interesting you say that. Cause I just recently wrote a paper in my English, my English class with my final paper just about like talent and what talent actually is because a lot of people credit 
a lot of players' ability, and not just in music. Again, this could be sports. They could be. This could be really anything. They credit it um, to talent, so that like all this success they were able to achieve, they just throw it like all the work that these people had to do, including myself. All the work that different players, and whether it be sports or instrument, whatever it may be, all the work they had to do to get where they are is like thrown out the window. Because some people just credit everything to talent and that, oh, you know, they were born with this ability. And I did, I did a research paper on it. And basically what I found is like the, it's, it's a lot of just about, or I'm sorry, it's more about starting early. So you got to start when you're young and when your brain is like the most malleable, you know? And so I started at three months and I guess I got a good jump on it, but <laughs> um, start young and it, it has to be intense practice there has to be external motivation so you have parents and family members friends motivating you to keep going and then that eventually turns internal but these are all factors that actually play a role besides just like being born with an ability sure for sports you might be you know you're gonna be born to be tall or strong and and that's gonna play a role right but i guess specifically for music Sure, okay, maybe hand size or like arm length, right? But it's much more important to actively practice and have intense, focused practice. So you might be you might be born with like okay, maybe my hand like if I'm if I'm a bass player, maybe I, my hands are really big and I could just hit the notes easy. You know, I can touch each note a little bit easier. If you don't put the practice in to learn how to play your hand size isn't going to, it's not going to do anything. So it's ultimately, it really just does come down to like intense focused practice. Speaking of talent, you're not someone that's just good at drumming, especially in the music aspect, but you've also been able to incorporate rap as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I was listening. So uh, Julian has a song called Secret Love. And this is a song where, uh, you also, you're not the only talented member of their family. It's also your sister, Annalisa. Yes. And I remember listening to the song and please forgive me for using extreme comparisons, but it was like, it was like if Adele collaborated with Donald Glover, that's what I I'm felt flattered like. flattered by that <laughs> comparison. I really am. Thank you. <laughs> it, it, it truly <laughs> is. And before we talk about the song and also uh, the ability to like adapt to certain genres, talk a little bit about your sister and like, cause these you two have been it's not just you but it's like it's both the both of you and you've both been helping each other get to where they want to be whether it's in music yeah. or in life in general yeah so besides music my sister is my best friend i mean my best friend out of everybody in the world she's my best friend i can always talk to her i can always laugh with her i mean she's my go-to person so to be able to work with her on this song was it was really awesome. And it was cool to see just like in the studio, I'd be able to give her tips and just different advice on certain takes and she'd take it in. And sometimes we'd argue. And it was just like, you could see the brother and sister um, connection in the studio. So that's the first thing. The second thing is she has a beautiful voice. And again, I was very lucky to have her on this song that I was also able to be a part of. So this creative process, yeah, it was just, so it was with um, Ace West, 
Norman Ace West, and he just goes by Ace. But he wrote for Aretha Franklin, and he knows my dad pretty well. And he sent, he wanted me to drum on this track that he was working on. So he sent it to me. And I started giving like different, um, I started giving different tips and what I would do for production wise, especially because this is, this is around where I was really getting into music production. So he was like, why don't you just co-produce it with me? I was like, that'd be really cool. Can I swear on this podcast or should I like- um, No, we're going to keep it clean. <laughs> but... gotcha. Okay. That'd be really freaking cool to be on this song. And so that's how it went down. And then, you know, there's a, we, we needed a singer and my dad and I are both just like Annalisa, like get on this song. And she was, she was the one that got us, you know, we were on Jay Leno and this was pretty close to before he went off the air, but Betty White was on it and she, they were doing like the Betty White special. She was the one that got us on that show. She put, we posted a video, we were doing the cup song. This was like, you know, the cup song was really big at this point. Yeah. We were doing the cup song and yeah, their team just saw it and they wanted us on the show, but it was because of her. So I just, I have so much to thank her for, but just regarding the song, I, yeah, she just, it was, she was awesome in the studio. It was amazing to work with her. You are known as a drummer. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what we'll see you as, and you incorporated rap. Uh, what, what made you decide to go into this? Why go into rap? Right. So the rap was, it was just, there was a section needed for the rap. And I thought it sounded, you know, I thought it would sound pretty good with a, a little, just like verse in the song for it. And yeah, it just was like, I'll, you know, I'll throw some stuff on there. I don't care. I think it'll sound good. So the way it turned out, I think it sounded all right. Uh, you know, I don't know about a future in rap for me personally, but you may see a couple verses coming out in the future, especially because my plan for the next, I guess like my next five years, um, especially throughout Berkeley would be m- music production and putting out my own music. So, oh, and I forgot to mention, honestly, she helped me get into Berkeley. And so I, I was doing a songwriting program the summer, it was like, two summers ago at this point. So I was doing this online song, songwriting class, excuse me. And for different assignments, you know, it was just, you know, create songs. So I'd be writing songs. And a lot of the other students, they just like wrote lyrics and maybe play like play with guitar or just basic chords on the piano. But my goal was like, okay, I'm going to make like full songs. So fully produced and with sections and pads and synths and you know everything like that just like a full song so i for three of those i used those to get into berkeley i used it on my berkeley application so i have to thank her for that because she sang on those and i do plan on releasing them especially like again within the next couple maybe i'm i'm planning to do a lot of music this next semester so in the near future you'll be seeing those songs that i'm talking about now but she just she sounded great on them and i was so happy to have her on them but that's that's really what i do what i want to do is produce rapping for sure i mean hey you never know i might throw a verse in that you know i might oh excuse me i might throw a verse in here or there but um it just it sounded good on the song and i was like let me just write something down everybody liked it so we threw it on there and that's that's what i would that's that's how that came to be <laughs> let's uh let's switch things a bit because it's not just the music but also the inventing you know you you mm-hmm. talked about 
cre uh, creating or having two patents, one at the age of four, one at the age of seven. Um, what, 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 what's talking about the inventing part? What made you want to invent? And uh, yeah, if you want to talk a little bit more about your inventions, talk about that as well, because that's another part of it that really stuck out to me as well. Yep. So abracadabra, I'll talk about this one because this one is, I would say is, you know, um, less important than the drum gloves. But abracadabra was an idea I had when I was, I was just extremely young. And my dad, he, I remember he had like something on his tie and he just like, he was trying to use white out or something like that. And it was just like, it was either that, I think I remember that as well as just on my instruments, like on my drum set, you know, we'd be using white out because I had a white kit. I still have a white kit. Actually, it's over there um in the house i'm in right now but you know when i lived in michigan because i'm currently in new york when i lived in michigan um there were just like scratches and stuff on the kit so we'd be using whiteout but i was like it'd be cool or i just thought like why not have like a like a cover-up these are not the exact words uh, that came out of my mouth when i was like probably two or three yeah but um <clears throat> maybe like three or four i can't actually remember but it was just, the idea was just to have a cover up that you could use on multiple different surfaces and not just like paper, um, like for whiteout or like in your planner or things like that. So that's where the idea came from. And we'd have different colors and you can use it on different fabrics, different material. That's how that came about. And my dad, of course, I have to thank my dad because he, you know, he is a business guy, it's what he does. So he helped me just figure out the process. He helped me act like actuate. So of course, I'm there like designing it and just telling him my ideas, but I have to thank him, especially just for making it happen. And it's a similar story um, with the drum gloves. Well, I guess similar in the sense of I have to thank my dad for helping me with this process. But I was, the drum gloves, I think I was, I had to be like four or five. And I was sitting watching John Bonham and he was doing his Moby Dick solo. And in the solo, he starts, he puts the sticks down, <clears throat> excuse me, and starts using his hands. And I'm looking and I, I talk, I go to, I'm like, I turn over to my dad. I'm like, dad, like, why doesn't he, like, why doesn't he put tips on his fingers? And my dad immediately saw like a potential in this idea. So he's like encouraging me. He's like, okay, like, well, hold on, Julian. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah, like, like a glove. And you could put the tips of drumsticks on the fingers. And he was like, okay, like, like draw it out for me. Show me what it would look like. And so I get up and I draw it out. And from there, we just, we were able to patent the idea. We built some prototypes and believe it or not, right now I'm working on developing this again. So I'm, I'm still working on this idea. And that's what I, so I'm on break right now as we're recording this. That's what I've been spending a lot of my time during this break. I was in Michigan about a week ago and I was just with my dad and we, we spent a lot of time together and with my grandpa because he, he's done engineering throughout his life. But we just spent a lot of time just like building the more prototypes and fixing them because of course the idea was when I was really young, we were able to add some, or I was able to add like tweaks and improve the design so that's what I've been up to recently. So I'm actually working on this right now. And that one I think has potential because it provides a different sound that you can't get with just your hands and then you can't get with just sticks. So 
again, I think it's an interesting idea and I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to develop it. You know, it's weird because you did this before you reached double digits in age. Like you did this before the mm-hmm. age of 10. Like, I feel like right now, like, you know, you're 18. I feel like there's a part of you that misses you being little. Cause there's so many of us that are like, you know, I miss watching Mickey. Like I miss watching Mickey Mouse at the age of five, at the age mm-hmm. of five. And then you're just like, yeah, I, I invented things before, before I'm 10 years old. Yep. Man. And it, it's truly amazing. But you thank know. you. I mean, again, I have to, I really have to thank my parents because it's like, they didn't discourage us at all. So there was no point in my childhood where it was like, I can't practice or I can't, develop these ideas it's like anything i wanted to do i was supported 100 percent, and not only supported but like helped with you know so like like i mentioned with the inventions just my dad actively helped me make them real and i i have to thank him for that of course and just with my parents while practicing you know i didn't have my mom coming down there being like julian like you gotta get off that drum kit like it was encouraged it's like, Julian, like, why don't you go practice? Like, you know, you got some free time. Go down there and, like, practice. And that's what I would do. So I have to thank my parents for believing in me and still believing in me and just investing a lot, like, into me. So I'm, I'm extremely fortunate to have this support system. You are a man of many things. You, there's the drummer aspect or there's the musician aspect. There's the, the inventing aspect. There's the business aspect. And honestly, it's... It's, I think we can all we can both agree that it's shaped, shaped you into the person you are today and it's going to continue to do so in the future. One thing that you mentioned, and I think this, this is something that you're very passionate about and why I think this is the thing I respect you the most about is the idea of following your passion. Um, and I often feel like, you know, especially in the music and the business industry, it is one of the scariest combinations, the worst combinations, because this is where you have to be fearless. Because there's so many people that are going to bring you down and bring down your passion or bring say like your idea is stupid, it's terrible. Why would you get in this? And it's something that, you know, takes time. Um, and that's, and you are very passionate about, you know, the uh, loving the process, not just, yes, you want to love the product, but you have to understand that, you know, what you're going to, what you have to do is going to take a journey. Um, mm-hmm. You're very passionate about being not a, you're not afraid to do things you obviously have proven that with the records you've broken but when you try to tell other people that want to follow their passion and but there's always like either it's like the outside noise or people close to them how do you tell them to keep going it, it reminds me of that rocky quote rocky quote where it's not about how hard you get hit it's about how hard you get hit and you keep moving forward how do you mm-hmm. people reach out to you make um tell them like you like this is okay for, yes, you're going to get rejections. Yes, it's going to suck at times, but you have to be keep you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's about just the drive you have to make it happen. So, <clears throat> a lot of it, like I said, is about practice. And even though this is art, you can practice art. You know, like you you can practice these things that people just push off as just being talent. So if you want to pursue something, the first thing it's going to take is just time doing it. You have to practice. Now, the question you have to ask yourself is like, is the struggle that I'm going to experience or that I am experiencing worth what I know I can achieve? Right. And that's an important question because 
if you don't think it's worth it, then find, you know, you could find something, you could find something better to put your time into. It's like, if you really don't want it that badly, just find something you really want badly and then put all your time into that. So you just have to make sure it's like, it's what you want to do. And if you see, it's like, and okay, the, the way I, the way I answer that question is when I am like, when I'm sad, when I'm in a dark place, when I, when I like, I just feel crap, you know, do I, do, do you go to that thing? When I'm in, like, so like I said, when I'm in this bad, whatever, and I just feel like dookie, I go to music. I listen to music. I, of course I take time and like process whatever I'm dealing with and I'll lay on the couch and watch TV. Like, of course, just to just distract myself. But it gets to a point where it's like, okay, like I'm done watching TV. I want to do something. And when I want to do something, I get on the kit. I open up logic. You know, I start making music. That's what I do. And that's how I know this is something I can do for the rest of my life. Because when I feel not good, I go to these things. And the second indicator is something called flow. And this actually goes into um, all the practice you have to do and what you have to go through to reach a certain level of musicality or business expertise, whatever it is. I think it can relate to business. Um, but when you're like practicing or studying, it's something called flow state. And I'm sure you've experienced this before, like doing homework and whatever for your major, let's say, and you could be doing research or whatever. It's something called flow. And it's when you, you get so like time ceases to exist and you're just there doing this work. You don't question it. You don't, there's no hesitation around it. You're just there stuck doing work and you can't, you like almost can't pull yourself out of it. And I experienced this when I drum, I experienced it a lot when I produce. So it's like when I produce, I only, I need to set aside like hours because I will just sit like, it could be here. It could be like in my dorm, but I just sit and I work and I just, it's like laser focused and I just get sucked into it. So if you feel yourself getting lost in the process and lost, but I mean like getting lost in it, you know what I mean? Like you, it's like this euphoric bliss. You just get lost in it and you don't want to do anything else. I would say that's another good indication that what you really like what you're doing. And it's so for those things, when you, if you experience those things, <clears throat> excuse me, about whatever you want to pursue, pursue it, you know, and especially if it's something like, I don't know, like I get a lot of pushback from my family. That is a, these are great indications that you really do love what you're doing. And it's worth putting all of the, all of your time into that. So that's what I would say. It's like, if people don't support you, you have to be able to support yourself and you support yourself with confidence, knowing that you love what you're doing. You love what you're pursuing. Even if the process is hard, a weird part of you loves the process then just keep going. Don't think about, you know, your friends think it's like stupid. And it could be the same friends that are just like sitting on the couch, like playing video games every day. Like it could be those same friends. So keep in mind your sources of who's telling you what, and ultimately trust yourself. You know, I think- I know there's a lot. Oh, no, 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 that was perfect. And I think like to add on to that, you know, I always told myself this, is that whatever area or field you go into, 
the process is going to be difficult no matter what. But if you're someone that's willing to overcome those obstacles, even if it gets hard, if you're someone that's excited about the idea of overcoming these obstacles, that's how you know you found your passion. Because there's so many people that in today's world will will do something and then they see like the, the stuff that they have to overcome and they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. But then, right. and even with this podcast, like I know I'm going to get push, pushback, but the thing is, I don't care about that because one, I know, I know this is something that you allude to is finding those group, finding the group of people that will support you throughout that process. And it won't even matter what other people say, because you just love overcoming those obstacles to get to where you, uh, where your end goal is, you know? Right. And I think there's also, there's a differentiation between like loving the job and then loving the idea of the job. So some people might love the idea of being a rock star. I think that's a common, you know, idea to have. It's just like people love to be in the spotlight and the fame and everything. But you just, if you love it, you got to make sure you love the process of it as well. So that's, I think it's just important to have those those things in mind. And I'm, this is not to discourage anybody. This is anything, if anything, this is to encourage people. Right. It's like, dig deep, get gritty, like get frustrated, get pissed off. That is going to lead to future success. Before I let you go, um, I've enjoyed, I literally enjoyed talking to you and I could talk to you for hours, Thank but you. I'm not Joe Rogan. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about um, leaving a legacy. You've done so much in your life. You've broken records. Um, you obviously talked a bit about what you're doing now and in the future. Um, and people will say stuff about you, whether it's good or bad, or people will say like, oh, I'm going to remember Julian for this and whatnot. But the truth of the matter is the only person that knows you is you or knows you better is you. You're the only person that knows yourself. And I would genuinely love to know how you want to be remembered what are the things that and because like i said people will say stuff about you regardless if it's good or bad but how do you hope you want to be remembered by by the time everything's all said and done i honestly think there's three main things i want people to remember me and i'm still working on all these things and i'll be working on them until i die i think all but, of us will be doing that though for sure no no you're 100 right but the the three things i want people to remember about me or I want to go out as is that I was an empathetic person. I was a helpful person and I was a hardworking person. So I like, I want people to just look at what I've done and not push it off. as just like a natural born talent or a God given talent or anything like that. I want people to look at it and then appreciate the work that I've had to do. And of course, nobody's going to understand that because that's all behind closed doors. But I want, I want people to look at it and just know that it must've taken a lot of work. Maybe they don't know how much, but I just hope they look at it and they're like, that must've taken a lot of practice and a lot of work. And being a helpful, helpful person, I want to be in a position in my life at some point where I'm, it's dedicated to just helping other people, whether it be giving to charities or participating in charities or helping people when I want, like mentoring people. Like I, I, once I, I think once I get older, that's what I want to do. I want to help people. And then ultimately just being empathetic that I remember learning about the word empathy in like kindergarten. And that has, that has never escaped me. That definition of, you know, like the golden rule. That's what I remember learning the golden rule. 
and just like do unto others as they would have, or as you would have them do unto you, or whatever it is, whatever the wording is, you yeah. get the point. I just, I, I really try to be empathetic and I try to be understanding. And I don't think we have enough of that in the world. There's a lot of just like, like off of your first look, you're just like gunning for someone or gunning for someone or whatever it may be. But I think if people just took a moment to just think about the other person, because if you think about it this way, <clears throat> and of course this is an extreme hypothetical, but if everybody was empathetic, then when you are more understanding to someone else, you would also know that they would be doing the same thing for you. So I think the only way to push that is just for you have, you yourself have to be empathetic so that others can be empathetic. And then they know like each person in the exchange is being empathetic. So that's what I, I try to ultimately at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing. I just, I want to be known as an empathetic person. You know, you are one of the craziest people I've ever met. Thank you. <laughs> I'm extremely grateful for it. I think, no, and, and in a good way, because sometimes we, we were like, what do you mean crazy person? And it's oftentimes mm -hmm. um, the craziest people, the ones who are doing things for good, like, wait, how do I, how do I word this? Um, it's the crazy people that do end up changing the world for good. And you are mm -hmm. someone that um, has done that in the past. You're doing it now. And I'm, and I know you're going to do it for the future. Thank um, you. And like, literally, it's been so fun talking to you. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. Thank you for being uh, a supporter. And like, literally, when many people said no, you were one of the few people that said yes. So I'm eternally grateful. And I hope Thank to you. see you soon in person. 100%. We'll make it happen. That was Julian Pavoni. He's the world's youngest professional drummer and one of the world's youngest inventors. Um, I really had a great time talking to him. He's one of the most outgoing people I've met, which is a very high bar for me because I meet people every day that give me one or two word answers. And it's the most annoying thing on the planet. So to be able to talk to him and uh, just understand more about his journey and how he became the person he is today. And uh, he's going to shock the world uh, in the future. And I know that. But it was great to see him as a human being. And yeah, he's got a lot of, he's, he's had a lot of success, but he's a human being who wants to be remembered for helping people, which I deeply respect. Um, if you want to check more on his story, feel free to visit his website at www.julianpavoni.com. You're going to be impressed by all the stuff that he has done in, in, his, in his journey. And uh, no matter how many times I read it or watch some of his videos when he was little, it's truly impressive. And uh Seriously, guys, go check it out. It's just really impressive. Um, if you love this episode, this is the first episode of the podcast. But um, if you loved what you saw, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, feel free to leave a review, five stars, hopefully. And um, um, this podcast is also on YouTube, so you can also feel free to check that out. Um, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and I can't wait to see you again uh, in the next episode. Take care, guys.